in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to go back uh, in God's providence. We came upon this passage, and I knew that uh, Henry was going to be here, and Kristen were going to be here today. So we uh, made a, a little missions emphasis in our service. And so this is one of the perfect passages to think about missions. Luke 10, 1 through 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted into heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see, and did not see it, and hear what you hear, and did not hear it. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Well, the front of our bulletin has three words on it that describe the purpose of the church and the process of discipleship. Worship, fellowship, and mission. As a church, we exist to worship God, to, to bring Him glory. It's what we're doing here today uh, in, this, in this hour, to ascribe worth to God. We're seeking to fulfill the greatest commandment, to love the God, to love God with all of our being. And fellowship is another purpose of the church. We exist to bring believers together as the family of God, 
True fellowship occurs when we mutually encourage one another and live out our faith together in community with one another. We need one another. And the church also exists for mission. We are called to make disciples according to the Great Commission. Everyone has a part to play in that process. There's no one who sits on the sideline in the mission of God, or we shouldn't be sitting on the sideline in the mission of God. So, as far as the process of discipleship, this is how, we, how it should flow. Each one of you should be involved in all three functions of the church if you're a believer today. You're here for worship, that's good. So that's, you got the first one. Uh, you're here to bring glory to God. And the next step is to be involved in smaller groups where you can be encouraged, you can build relationships with other believers and you can be an encouragement and encourage others. And then... Lastly, everyone needs to identify how you can help fulfill the Great Commission. How are you part of the disciple-making process? Well, the 72 in today's passage were sent on a mission by Jesus. They went out as representatives of Jesus to announce the kingdom of God in word and deed. And we can learn some things from their example because... We as Christians are also called to represent Jesus and announce the kingdom of God in word and deed. As Peter wrote in his first letter, chapter 3, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Like these 72 disciples, we are called to confess Christ before others, to share the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ with others. And what Jesus said while he walked on the earth is still true. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now the 72 went before Jesus to all the towns and villages to which he planned to go. And they were preparing the way for him. And the same is true of us. We're in a little different era now, but we are still preparing the way for Jesus' coming. He's coming again. He will return and we need to communicate with people about that coming. It's our duty to prepare people for his arrival. Now first, we, we want to look at the message because the most important thing is the message that they took from town to town. Jesus told them to communicate something. It's, it's mentioned twice here. The kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Whether they accepted it as the, the first instance, or whether they rejected it. They were still saying, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, what does this mean? You know, we can talk about the kingdom of God. and you know, We see that Jesus and John the Baptist announced that when they first began their ministries. You know, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God? Well, if we just break down the word kingdom, a, a, king, a kingdom is that territory over which a king reigns, right? A king's dominion where kingdom comes from. And since God is the creator of all things, the extent of his dominion is the whole world. So in one sense, the kingdom of God is wherever God reigns, which is everywhere. And since he reigns everywhere, the kingdom of God is everywhere. But what we read in the New Testament refers to something else. It's not just that God is reigning over everything. Because when John the Baptist came out of the wilderness, he announced, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And Jesus also, when he began his public ministry, those were the first recorded words you have of, of him preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, if the kingdom of God consists of all the universe over which God reigns, why would anyone announce that the kingdom of God was near or about to come to pass? So obviously they meant something different than just that God rules over everything. John the Baptist and Jesus meant something more about this concept of the kingdom of God. Well, what they meant when they talked about the kingdom of God is God's messianic kingdom. It's a kingdom ruled by God's appointed Messiah who will be not just the redeemer of his people, but their king as well. The Old Testament called attention to a kingdom that would break through into this world. A kingdom that would be ruled by God's anointed Messiah in the line of David. When God made his uh, covenant with David, he said, you'll always have someone on the throne. And it points to the Messiah, this one who would reign forever in a real kingdom. And this is what the 72 were announcing in word and deed. Jesus was near. He was inaugurating his kingdom. A kingdom where there is restoration of life as God intended it to be. You think back to the Garden of Eden, there was no sickness or death. There was no weeds in your garden. Everything was wonderful and perfect. But sin ruined all that. And when Christ came through his healing ministry, casting out demons and so forth, all that he did was a sign of things to come, that this kingdom was breaking in, a kingdom that's going to make everything right, that's going to restore all things. So that's what they were announcing, a kingdom that would destroy evil. And that's why Jesus and his followers healed the sick, cast out demons. It's why Jesus said there in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven after the 72 had returned. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. See, this new kingdom was coming in. They were announcing it. Now when John, Jesus, and his followers said the kingdom of God was near, they meant that the kingdom was near because the king of the kingdom was there. When he came, Jesus inaugurated God's kingdom. He didn't consummate it. He, he inaugurated it. And when he ascended into heaven, which we'll look at in just a moment, he went there for his coronation, for his investiture as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day he will return, and then he will consummate his kingdom. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, whether willingly or unwillingly. His, his reign will be over everything. His e dominion is an eternal dominion. And all other nations are subservient to him. Now, you remember in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples repeatedly over 40 days. And they were there in Jerusalem, and the disciples asked Jesus a question there in Acts 1. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? You see, they were expecting an earthly kingdom of the Messiah. They had rightly identified Jesus as the Messiah, and they thought, well, now that he's risen from the de dead, it's time to set him on the throne and set up shop and let's rule this place. 
Is it now the time, Jesus? And Jesus responds. He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus' kingship is not something that remains in the future. Christ is king this very minute. He is in the seat of the highest cosmic authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And we're waiting for the consummation of that kingdom when it comes in its fullness. And in the meantime, what did he tell the disciples to do? Be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. Go and tell people. Prepare the way. Prepare for my coming. Jesus, are you going to restore, this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? No, I'm empowering you. Go. Make disciples of all nations. All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go tell people about this. You know, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. We're praying for the coming of the kingdom. Yes, that's a prayer that maybe the Lord would return, but also it's a a prayer that, along with the first petition, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. How does Christ's kingdom come until he returns? It comes when people regard God as holy. They bow the knee to the Lord. And our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our, our highest allegiance should, should be. If we're a believer, we're part of that kingdom. That's the most important thing. R.C. Sproul tells a neat story about going to, uh, in the early 90s, uh, going to Romania. And they were warned as they were crossing the border that the, the security uh, guards would probably be kind of uh, rough with them, and they may even get arrested. And so a uh, guard comes in on the train that they're traveling on, and he uh, is getting their, they're making them open their luggage, and the, one of the ladies has a brown paper sack on her lap, and the guard says, what is that? And, of course, it was a Bible. So R.C. says, oh, we're in trouble now. It's a, we're going to jail for sure. Well, the fellow opens it, and he goes, uh, you're not an American. And he pointed at Archie Sproul, you're not an American. And he said, I'm not Romanian. I'm a Christian. See, whatever nationality didn't matter anymore, the highest allegiance was his allegiance to Christ, and the same was true for R.C. and his companions. It's a great lesson. See, that's where our citizenship lies. That's the kingdom that's going to last forever. That's what we're invited to be a part of. And it's the task of the church until while we wait for that day to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, in our families, in our schools, with the way that we use our money. Because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. He's he's king over everything, over every sphere of life. 
And if he is our king, and we're part of his kingdom, we're citizens of his kingdom, then we should do whatever he says. And the only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in the world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. And we must tell people about the coming kingdom. It's urgent. You notice these words that he shares with the, with the 72. You know, uh, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. It's going to be difficult, but be a lamb. You're not a wolf. Do it with gentleness. Share the message, the good news. And it's, it's urgent. Go your way. Don't carry a money bag, knapsack, sandals. Greet no one on the road. They had elaborate greetings in those days. The mission was so urgent. It didn't mean to be rude, but just have your, your mind and heart set on the mission and go and, and share it with others. Don't move around from house to house. Just plant yourself somewhere and do the work. You see, the urgency of it is an important message. So there's the urgency to it, and also there's the imperativeness of it. That's a word, imperativeness. It's an imperative that we share this message because it's a life-or-death message, right? If someone rejects this message, then they're going to face the woes. They're going to be worse off than Sodom which, of course, was destroyed from the earth. Tyre and Sidon were wicked places, had a bad reputation. And he's saying, woe to those where Jesus has visited, where the good news has gone. If, if people rejected that message and rejected Christ as their king, then they're in trouble. It will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you if you reject it. Capernaum, where Jesus had his ministry, uh, did a lot of healing and a lot of teaching and preaching. He says, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you shall be brought down to Hades because they did not receive Christ as their king. It's an important message, an urgent message, an imperative message. The one who hears you, verse 16, hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. It's a rejection of God. So we've got this task before us to share the word. You'll notice there in, in the verses uh, at the end, he says, I thank you, Father, verse, verse 21, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. We share this message, but it's God that opens the eyes. We don't have to share it in all kinds of complicated detail. Little children can receive it. Little children who have, been, who have had their eyes opened, their hearts opened by the Lord. So we're like the sower. You remember the parable of the sower. We just indiscriminately are supposed to be sowing the seed out there. And the, the hearts that God has prepared, the good soil that's been prepared, will receive that word and it will produce fruit. But we've got to be faithful to share this good news. And the reason we obviously, I think, sometimes don't share the good news 
is because we don't believe it's good news. We don't sense the goodness of this news. I mean, if you hear some good news, I mean, you want to share that with somebody, right? If your team wins the, the championship, you know, you, you go and you talk about it. Or uh, if you uh, got a great uh, uh, deal at a sale, you know, uh, uh, bought an outfit and it was just a, a great buy. And, you know, I, I like to brag about those things when I really save some money and you know that's good news I want to share that with you or perhaps there's uh, good news about that's that everybody can receive hey they're giving away free stuff down at the store they're giving away free money at the bank if that were to happen you would tell people about it right you want everybody to benefit well what's more important than saying that, that all of history the one about whom all of history is about is coming again and the only way to be restored to what our full potential, to what, what we were meant to be, is by coming to him, bowing the knee, becoming a part of his kingdom, which will last forever. When he consummates it, we'll be with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Isn't that wonderful? That's great news. It's for anyone. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But we have to call upon the name of the Lord. Do the work. And don't be discouraged. You may think what you do is a small thing. Well, the Lord is, you know, he's got a, the, the body. You know, we have that wonderful metaphor in Scripture, the body of Christ. And, and all the parts of the body are important. The ear, you've got to have an ear, you've got to have an eye. You know, the whole body's not an eye. You know, but I, I don't think there's an appendix in the body of Christ. You know, they say the appendix is... It's not necessary. You can get rid of it. And it's, and it's you know, only noticeable when it goes bad. Well, there's, no, there's not an appendix in the body of Christ. Everybody is necessary. Everybody is useful. Everybody has a part to play. It may be a small part or it may be a large part. Maybe one part that's more public. Something, some parts are behind-the-scenes parts. But everybody has a gift. Everybody can share about the hope of Christ with others. We just have to speak up, value the news, and share it. One person who got discouraged was a fellow by the name of Dr. William Leslie. He was a medical missionary, and in 1912 he decided to, to leave Canada, where he was from, and he headed off to the Congo, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is in Central Africa. His plan was to settle in a place called Vanga, and to minister to the Yancey people, who up until that point had never heard the gospel message. They'd never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And after 17 years of ministry there in the Congo, Dr. Leslie returned to the United States an incredibly discouraged man. He really truly believed that he had done nothing of impact there. There had been no impact for the gospel in the furtherance of the message of Christ. He went about sharing it and teaching it very simply to this people there, but he didn't see the fruit. And he would have gone into the annals of church history forgotten if it wasn't for a fellow who was doing research on forgotten missionaries of Central Africa in 2010. And once he did all this research, he went, actually went to the Congo, 
to see if there was any evidence of gospel witness and truth. And when they arrived to Vanga, where Dr. Leslie had been 85 years previous, uh, they found a network of vibrant reproducing churches throughout the jungle, hidden like glittering diamonds in the dense jungle. In fact, there were eight churches over a 35-mile radius, and the mother church seated a 1,000 people. And they traced their origins to the ministry of Dr. Leslie in the 1900s. You see, Dr. Leslie's simple goal was to go and preach, share the good news about Jesus, and teach the Bible and in deed and word. And even though he left the mission field incredibly discouraged, the legacy that he left in Africa is huge. And those are the testimonies that we will one day hear when we are walking the streets of gold in glory one day. As we think about sharing the gospel, you may not see the results, but that's the good news. You never know what's going to happen. You never know as you plant that seed what it's going to grow into. But may God give us strength and grace and a zeal for the lost to share the good news of Christ's kingdom that Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords and his kingdom is forever. And you can be a part of that by faith. Let's pray together.